is, uh, by my count, part 10 of, of the book of Acts. Um, it's fun. We're in part 10, and I feel like I am, I, I feel like I am just barely grazing anything. You know, it, it's, there, there's so much in, in Acts that we really could, every chapter, every, every week's worth of content, we could, we could make a series in itself. Um, but but uh, we can't do that because we would never get to any other parts of the Bible. So, um, so we, we are, today we're going to be looking at Paul's second missionary journey. Um, we're, we're up to that. That starts in uh, Acts chapter 16. Uh, but let's, let's just open with a, a word of prayer and then we're, we're, we'll jump into to the word for today. Father, we, we thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we believe it. We believe that it is alive and active. Would, it, would, would, you, um, would you penetrate our hearts today? Would you open our minds? God, we, we, we want to change. We want your word to change us. Please give us ears to hear this morning. Would, you, would your spirit, would you bring conviction where we need conviction? Would you bring encouragement where, where we need encouragement? Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Acts 16, Paul's second missionary journey. So if, I know we've kind of been jumping around and had some other things. We had some other things going on. Um, so we, had to, we took some breaks, but we are, we are back at it. Um, in Acts 15, just kind of to catch us up to what led up to this missionary trip, uh, Lilia, a number of weeks ago, when she spoke, she, she referenced this uh, she talked about this Jerusalem council, and um, basically, as a result of Paul's first missionary journey, some questions began to arise about what these new Gentile believers uh, were going to be required or needed to follow as far as the law of Moses goes, as far as Judaism goes, because that's not their upbringing. Um, and there was a number of issues, but the, the, the central one, one of the, the main ones, was around the issue of, of circumcision. Is, is, that requ- is that a requirement for, uh, for a believer? If you wanted to join the church, did you, did you need to ob- observe that uh, Jewish custom? And, and so uh, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and they have a called Jerusalem Council. They have a meeting, basically, and they, 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 they negotiate this thing out, and they, they talk about it, and they pray about it. And, and, and Paul leaves there with, with a confirmation that, that, in fact, no, that is, that is, not, um, that is not a part of, of the orthodoxy of, of, of the gospel. All right, that is that is an action outside. It is by by faith alone and in Christ alone that we are saved. And, and there's not a there's not a, a physical action or requirement. We don't have to to do a thing to earn salvation. And so they they um, they confirmed the council met the leaders met and they they confirmed that that wasn't wasn't necessary. So so that happens and that'll be important in a little bit. So just put a pin in that. So Paul meets them and then sets off on his second missionary trip. Um, this trip would cover about th- over 3,000 miles. That's the distance of basically the width of our country. Um, if you walked from 
the east coast to the west coast. It's, it's about 3,000 miles. Um, it's a, about 100 days worth of traveling that he did, um, whether by boat or by foot. They kind of, you know, scholars and people smarter than me have added all this stuff up and, and given us a, a good estimate. They, they estimate that the cost of this trip was about 300 denarii per person that, that was on the trip. As we know, Paul, Paul never traveled alone. Um, Paul, Paul believed in, in team ministry and... and um, because that's the way Jesus did it. And uh, so, so there was always a group going, but it was about 300 denarii per person. What's a denarii? A denarii was what a skilled laborer would earn in one day. So, um, so 300 skilled laborers daily wage. So that's almost a, a year's salary of, 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 a, of a tradesman. Um, so I depend, you could pick your tradesman, but... But you could roughly say, you know, that's, that could be today, in today's day and age, that could be, you know, $70,000, something like that, um, per person for this trip. So there, there was a lot of, I said all that to say, there was a lot of time and effort and money poured out during this trip. And uh, Paul, Paul starts this, this journey in a city called Derby where he meets a, a young disciple named Timothy. That, that name may sound familiar, Timothy. There, there's uh, letter, letters we have as part of the, the New Testament that are letters Paul writes to Timothy later. Um, he be, Timothy becomes a, will become a, a cent, an important part in the early church. Um, Timothy was a, a young disciple at this point. Uh, his mother was, was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. And Paul enjo- uh, invites Timothy to join him on this, this mission. And what we're going we're gonna to kind of do a quick summary of the mission trip, and then we're going to circle back to this story because there, there, there's something at the, the outset of this, this mission trip that I think, um, after we've toured the whole thing, is important because it... it it's one of the things that we see in this first passage, this first part of the story, that it's easy to miss. But if we miss it, um, we're never going to live the life that Paul lived and see the fruit that Paul, Paul saw. So we're going to circle back to that. Um, so, so Paul and Timothy and some others set off on, on this mission. And, and if you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the first missionary trip, we see this, we talked about this cycle that would happen when Paul would, would preach and when he would go on these mission trips. And we see that continue in, in this trip where he would go into a city, he would first preach in, in the synagogue or wherever the Jewish community was, and he would see some fruit, and then some people would get jealous, and then they would try and run him out of the city or beat him or stone him or throw him out. And, and then he would move on to the next city. And so there was this constant um, cycle of fruit and persecution, right? Trium- triumphs and trials. This, this, this was the, the, the pattern of Paul's missions. And so we see him hit a couple of these cities and there's, there's trouble that gets uh, stirred up even though people do come to faith in the Lord. And so he, he moves on. Um, and then, then we come to a, a, an interesting uh, part in the story where Paul's planning to go to the, this one area and actually has a dream of somebody in Macedonia saying, please come over here and, and help me, help us. And so Paul 
takes the cue and, and heads for Macedonia. And when he gets there, he, he meets a, a lady named Lydia. Now, Lydia was, um, it says, we don't know a ton about her. We know she was, she was a, a merchant of, of fine purple garments. Purple garments were like the hoity-toity stuff. So she was, she was kind of like, uh, you know, the, the, in Philippi, she was like, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue. That's where all the, the people with money went to go buy their clothes. <laughs> That's, she, she, she produced fine fabrics, and she was, she was uh, by all accounts, she was a very wealthy woman. And, and um, Paul meets her and shares the gospel with her, and, and she, she comes to faith, and her whole, her whole family comes to faith in Jesus. And, and, Paul, and she invites Paul to actually stay there. And, and here in Lydia's house, we, we have the, the church of, Philipp, of Philippians is born. And would continue. It's, it's the house of Lydia um, where, where the, this church would, would continue to grow and thrive uh, for a number of years. And then while, while he's there and ministering and, and this church is being established, we have a, uh, one of the more famous stories in Acts. Um, Paul is out one day and he's, he's with his, his uh, Silas and some folks and they're, they're preaching and there is a in the town, there was a, a, a slave girl who, um, who was demon-possessed and had the ability to tell fortunes. And uh, this made her, her, her masters a whole lot of money. Um, but while, all while Paul's going around trying to minister, this, this, uh, this girl is, is just following him and just cheering after him, just saying, these are men of God, and just going on and on and on about how, how, uh, how, how they, they know the way to be saved, and just over and over and over again to the point that it's impeding Paul's ability to actually share the gospel, which I don't fully quite understand what's going on in this moment, if, if, if I'm being honest. Um, it's just a, a weird thing, right? You have this demon-possessed person kind of being, try, like being this, this annou- announcing the truth of what's going on, but yet it's, it's causing, in some way, it's causing a disruptance. It's stopping Paul. It's in hindering Paul from being able to actually do what he's called to do. And so it says, out of frustration, basically, uh, he turns around and casts the demon out, um, which Again, it's kind of weird. Like, why didn't you just do that? Like, it's a demon. You know it's there. You have the authority to cast it out. I, 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 it's one of, one of my heaven questions. Does anybody have a list uh, of your heaven questions, the questions you're going to, you know, when you have the time and all turning, you sit down with the Lord and go, okay. <laughs> what about this? This is definitely on my list. What, what, what was going on in this moment? Why, why did he wait and out of frustration? Why wasn't that actually like the first thing he did and then moved on? But that, that, that's not the, the main point of this story. The, the point of this story is he, he does that, and as a result, um, these owners, uh, these slave owners lose their income, right? And they get upset about it, so they... they um, the cycle that we see over and over again kicks up again. In verse 22 of uh, chapter 16, we can pick up the text. It says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape because, well, Christians had, a, had at this point... Um, 
had gotten a bit of a, ha- uh, uh, a reputation for uh, disappearing from jails, to be honest. Uh, so they, they gave them this, this, this order, make sure they don't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. And around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, and he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself, because that would have been a much better ending than he would have received from his supervisor had they escaped. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in the house. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds, and then he and everyone in the house were immediately baptized. What a story. And when I read that story, the, the, the thing that it reminds me of that um, I think is, is, is an application for us um, it's simply this, that any moment can be a kingdom moment if we're ready for it. If we stay properly positioned. See, Paul and Silas, and they're in that jail, we have the benefit, and we know the story in view of the end of the story, right? Paul and Silas didn't know how that story was going to end while they're in that jail. Paul, Paul makes it very clear throughout his, throughout his life that, that he had already surrendered his life to God and he knew, he knew how his story and, and this earth was going to end, right? It was going to end with Paul being, um, he's, I'm going, either Jesus is going to come back or somebody's going to take me out for talking about him. He knew that. And so when Paul was in jail, he didn't know if this was going to be his last day on earth. He didn't know how, how this was going to end. But what do we see here? Even in, in that, regardless of the outcome, it's the middle of the night and Paul and Silas are, are having a prayer service. They're worshiping. And it says all the prisoners were listening. Listen, when we stay in a position of worship when we stay in a position of prayer, it opens the possibility that God's, that Jesus' kingdom can invade any moment of our life. Any moment of our life. And that's an exciting way to live. That's an exciting way to live. To know that in any conversation, in any trip to the grocery store, in any, uh, you know, hanging out with your friends or, or hanging out with, with, with your wife on date night, at any moment, God could show up and, you could, you, and His presence could change the circumstance. That is an exciting way to live. So, Paul gets out of jail. <laughs> There's a whole, whole other part of that, but we're, we're going to skip that. because, Like I said, I'm trying to, trying to get through this because we're going to circle back. 
So he's in, uh, he, his, he's in Philippi. Uh, he, he, eventually he leaves there, uh, and then he, he goes and he meets uh, two people, Priscilla and Aquila, who one of the things you see in, in the themes of the second journey is Paul is, um, along with sharing the gospel, he's also recruiting and equipping the next generation of leaders. And, and we see that he, he picks up Timothy, and then, and then we see he, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, who are kind of kindred spirits with, with Paul. They, 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 they know the word, they love the word, they're gifted church leaders and ministry leaders, they're tent makers just like he, wa- he was, so they, they actually kind of form a little tent making co-op, and uh, they work together for a, for a, a season, and um, and so they, they join him, and then they all go to Ephesus, and, and Paul actually leaves them there. Um, Priscilla and Aquila were, were married, by the way. Um, they, they were a husband and wife. He leaves them in Ephesus, and they kind of uh, help lead and, and raise up the, the church at Ephesus, which, as we know, was, was one of the key churches in the early church, one of the, the foundational churches that, that, that really saw the gospel spread. Ephesus was a very important city. Um, and so we see we see Paul actually shifting and relocating. He's, he's raising people up and bringing them from here. And, hey, okay, you come over here. Now you stay there, and I'm going to go over there. And, and through the, the Holy Spirit's leading, Paul is shifting around the, the, the leadership that, that God is calling to raise up this church. And then while they're there, uh, they meet a guy named Apollos. And they, they, they see that, that the Lord is with him and he has talents. And, and they, um, they actually pull him aside and they instruct him. And so Priscilla and Aquila train Apollos. And Apollos then gets raised up. And he, he, now we have, we're starting to see second and third generation leaders. Because the church, the kingdom of God is built on multiplication. We should always be looking for people to pour into Whatever it is that we have inside us, there are, there are those that the Lord will put in your path that need your, your leadership, that need your example, that need your experience. And if you're younger, you need to be looking for those people. You need people in your life that have been there and done that so that you can learn from them so that you don't have to, you don't have to figure everything out. You don't have, on my, so on my Facebook page, um, where it says, you know, it has all the profile I- information. Um, mine, where it says, uh, under where you studied, mine says, School of Hard Knocks. Um, anybody else? Anybody else been to that university? It, it, it's not the most efficient way to learn. Uh, can I tell you that? It, it, it's painful and it's slow. It's much more effective to find somebody who's already gone where you want to be and say, how did you get there? Can you, can you show me? This is, this is a big part of, of, of the church. It's, this, is, this is, if you want to use the churchy word, that's discipleship. That's discipleship. And so we see that from, from, from day one, the Lord um, instilling that into the, the DNA of, of the church. And it's our prayer that, that that is what we here at Christian Assembly do, that we, we, get, we, we get real serious about 
How do, we, how do we disciple each other? How do we help the next generation? If we are the next generation, how do we link arms with, with those that have gone before us so that we can look more like Jesus and so that we can act more like Jesus and so that we can see Jesus lifted up in our communities? Got to keep going. <laughs> so he meets Priscilla and Aquila. He drops them off at Ephesus. And then Paul continues on his trip. And he finds himself in Athens. And in Athens, um, there, there's an interest. The only thing, thing I want to mention about his time there today is he, it, it's one of my favorite, uh, favorite approaches that Paul takes in any 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 uh, city to share the gospel. He gets to Athens, and Athens is like, you know, one of these like religious hubs. And, and if you know Roman culture, Greek culture, they were extremely polytheistic, right? They had, uh, you know, the Greek gods and the Roman gods. There was a zillion of them, and everyone had their own kind of, uh, you know, portfolio, if you will, of, of gods that they worshiped. Um, and, and they had them, you know, and they were all, there was monuments all over the place. And they even had a, a mon, one of the monuments there was the, it was the idol, the monument to the unknown God. The one that we, in case we missed one, that's, we got, we got something for him. And so Paul, when he, when he meets with these people, his reaction or his, his approach is not to go directly at the wrongness of their, their false gods. He uses the, this, this, this statue or this idol to the unknown God as a bridge, as a way in to, to share the gospel. He says, I noticed you have a, a, you know, a, a statue to the unknown God over here. That is, that is great. I know you guys are spiritual people. Let me tell you about this one because I, I know this one. I can fill in that blank for you. And he, he expands and he, he, he preaches the gospel from, from their perspective. And it's powerful, and we, we see fruit. And, um, and I think there's a good lesson in there for us. Not that we ever compromise the gospel or compromise truth. But a lot of the times, um, a lot of the time, we want to, we want to uh, start our conversations with people by attacking all of the wrong thinking that we see in them. And that's, that's, not, that's not always um, productive. Now, there are times, there are times we see that in Paul, with Paul, with Jesus, where uh, uh, it's a frontal assault, right? It's, 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 I'm going to go right after this, this false teaching or this, the, the, this idea you have. But a lot of the time, dare I say, the, the majority of the time, um, with Jesus especially, we see them coming alongside first. Meeting a need first. Making a connection first. And then dealing with the truths that need to be handled. Um, one other thing for, before, before I go on. So at... Uh, you know, there's all these, these poly, the, all these, everyone was polytheistic back then. Did you know that you and I, you can make the argument, you and I uh, are, are, are really, our tradition, our, 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 our religion, our, our, our belief, we are like the first atheists. 
Did you know that? <laughs> that sounds really weird. I know. I'm, let me explain this before uh, I, I, I get thrown out of here. Um, so, in 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 the early church, this was one of the this was actually one of the charges that the early Christians were were convicted of um, by the Roman government. They they were accused of being atheists because they only believed in one God. That was, the, that was the original charge. They didn't, they, and it was a threat to the Roman system, right? The Roman government, because the government was propped up by all of these false religions. And so the fact that, that Christians and, and, and Jews stood and said, no, there is only one God, set them apart. And so they were actually accused of, of and they, that was the, the actual term they, would, they called them was atheists. Just an FYI. I've, I've, I've thought, I want to get a shirt made one of these days. It just says, Original Atheist. Just wear it around. I think it would garner some really good conversations. So if anybody has, anyone knows how to make t-shirts, double XL, thanks. <laughs> oh, man. So, all right, so Paul is in Athens. But I, I want to circle back to the beginning of this journey. Um, because I, I think there's, there's a crucial mindset that we need uh, that's, that's being displayed at the beginning of this that's really easy uh, to miss. And it, it's this. So we're going to jump back to the beginning. Acts chapter 16, um, starting in verse 1. says, Paul went first to Darby and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer. His father was Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In difference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was Greek. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the, the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. Does that sound weird to anybody else? <laughs> what was the Jerusalem Council? We just kind of we started there, right? What was the whole point of the Jerusalem Council? Was was to alleviate the need for Greek Greek believers to get circumcised, and now you have Paul asking Timothy to join him to tell everybody about the the Jerusalem Council where that's not necessary. But before they go, Timothy gets circumcised. <laughs> What is going on here? I think it's one of the, one of the most powerful uh, examples of one of the most important mindsets that if we are going to be Christ-like, if we are going to be Jesus in the streets, we have to, to learn to embrace this mentality. And that's Timothy laid down his rights in order to be more effective in his ministry. The whole point of the, the Jerusalem Council gave him the right to not do that. And that's something you really don't want to do. That's not a pleasant procedure. But he does it. Why? Because, because Paul and him realized that there will be people that, right, wrong, or indifferent, would have a hard time accepting and receiving and even listening to their message 
that would be a hindrance to them. And so Timothy is willing to make that sacrifice, to lay down that right, so that more people would have an opportunity to truly hear the gospel. This is an important mindset that we need to develop. It's a critical way we need to become like Christ. You know, we, we, we live in America, which um, is a great place. I love it here. Wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But we love us some rights. Right? <laughs> we love us some rights. And, 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 and rights aren't bad. Rights, rights are good. Rights, rights are um, a good thing. But in the kingdom of God... Everything is on its head. Our, our rights are a good thing because they're a powerful thing to give up to impact others. Jesus' whole life was an example of laying his rights down for the chance to reach us with his love. That's the power of the message of the gospel. It's that Jesus lived for 33 years here doing every day getting up and doing a whole bunch of stuff that he didn't have to do just for the opportunity to convince us that he loved us. John 15, 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. When we willingly lay our rights down for the sake of loving someone else, Listen, not for the sake of getting them to love us. This is a, a, a tricky sticking point. See, and this is, o- this is only one that you can, just between you and the Holy Spirit, you have to really discern. It's easy to, to get those things confused where, where we do something and it, it's, a, it's a loving act, But in our heart of hearts, the motivation for doing it isn't actually because we want to love the other person. It's because we think it'll make them love us. That's not not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're talking about here. That type of of love, that type of um, action will ultimately lead lead you to resentment. Um, It will lead you to burnout. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside us that gives us an ability to love like God. To love with an agape love. A sacrificial love that doesn't doesn't need a, a payoff. When we love Jesus' way, we join Jesus in His mission. Galatians 2.20 says, uh, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, um, this was kind of one of the embodiments of, of Paul's mindset of who he was, and you see this over and over in his writings, and he lived it out, this idea that, that, that Paul was dead and, and everything he did was, was vicariously through the power of, of Christ's life in him. And we have the opportunity to live the same way. 
There, listen, there, there is nothing, there is, there is no act of love that we can't accomplish because we have the Holy Spirit empowering us. But it requires accepting this exchange of ourself for Christ's nature. You know, one, one of my dad's favorite phrases is, is, uh, is simply this. You probably heard him say, dead men have no rights. If we are crucified in Christ, if we are truly dead, dead and, and the old is gone and the new has come, we, 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 part of that transition is being willing to give up our rights for the sake of the gospel. Our, our right to, to our own stuff. Being willing to, to recognize that everything I have comes from the from Heavenly Father above. It's a good thing, but it is mine to steward, to love, and to use to, to, to expand His kingdom and share His love with those around me. Give up our, our, our right to our stuff, our right to our time. You know, we... we, we we live in a culture where like the goal it, it sometimes it feels like like our goal in life is ha, is to have nothing to do. <laughs> Ever feel like that? Like you think you think I, I I do this all the time myself like I working I'm killing myself to try and free up this day that I can just do nothing. <laughs> and <laughs> and hey, I, I th- that is that is Biblical in proportion, right? There, there's, there, there is biblical rest. There is, there is an importance to, to, to having balance in your life and Sabbath and all that. Um, but in our culture, we take that, like everything, we take it to the extreme, right? If, if a little bit of rest is good, then nothing but rest is great, right? So we, our goal is to like, all right, how can I, uh, my goal is to once I hit a certain level or a certain time, just to just have to do nothing. Like I just want to get up and, and, and drink my coffee and sit on my porch till Jesus comes. That's kind of the goal. <laughs> but as in Christ, your time is not your own. We, we, we give that back to him. It's something that, that we can offer to those around us. Our right to our talents. Listen, you're, the things you're good at, you're good at because God made you good at them, not because you just because you're good at them. And we have, to, we have to give those back to Him. Part of, part of giving, giving our lives to Christ is giving our talents to Him. Giving up our, our giving up our right to be right. Man, that was like the quietest I've ever heard this room. <laughs> it's such a live room, you can hear everything. Uh, giving up our right to be right. There there are there are times where we have an opportunity. Where you can, you can win the argument or you can win the person. But you can't do both. There are times when I'm dealing with my, when I'm dealing with my kids. Where we're, they want something or... Um, especially Gracie, if she's really upset. There's a moment, and I don't always see it, but there's a moment where I can either press the issue 
and, 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 explain, and force her to see why I'm right. Or I can give her a hug and end the argument. Sometimes we reach for being right when we should be reaching for the other person. Sometimes we reach for being right instead of reaching for the other person. And it's hard. Man, it's hard. Because being right tastes so good. <laughs> it does. I'm not going to lie. It, it, it does. It makes me feel warm inside. It makes me feel superior. It, it makes me feel secure. But are you willing to give up that right? The right to be proven right in order to love somebody. Listen, we don't give... Here, here's the important thing. And it kind of goes back to one of the earlier statements. We don't give these things up. The only way we're ever going to... We, this works well is if we, we understand that we don't give these things up to other people. We give these things up as an offering to God. The second you start doing these things for the sake of that person or what that person thinks or what that person does, you're gonna, the truth is going to get warped. That person then becomes the most important thing, not God. But it's so crazy that we, we serve a God who loves us so much that all of the things that we owe to Him, He says, okay, now you owe me all these things. You owe me your time. You owe me your talent. You owe me, you don't get to be right. I'm always right. All these things. And He says, you owe me, okay, go give it to that person. I don't, I don't need it. I'm God. <laughs> go give it to that person. But we have to understand that it is always, when we do that, it is, a, it is an offering to the Lord. It's, it's the true act of worship. Listen, I love, I love coming on Sundays and singing and, and reflecting together on His truth. But this is the stuff that God really touches His heart. You know, we could, we could stay here for 12 hours singing about how great God is, and that would be not wrong. <laughs> that would be wonderful. But if you ask, but, but if you weigh that against willing to giving up your rights to see somebody else come to know Jesus, and you ask God which one he wants, it's no contest. And the weird thing is in the kingdom is when we give up these rights, it, it feels, and on the front end, it, it, and in, in a very real sense, it's a sacrifice. It's hard. It hurts. But on another sense, the truth is we don't need more stuff. The truth is you don't really need more time. You, your talents aren't really yours to begin with. And the only true satisfaction you are going to get through your talents is when you're using them for something of significance. And there's nothing more significant you can do with your talents and your time and your treasure and your stuff 
than putting it back in Jesus' hands and, and sharing it with somebody else. This is the way to live. This is the way to live in this new kingdom. Well, you can come on up. We're going to be done here soon. When we choose to lay down our rights for the sake of the kingdom and for our king, we get to pick up the life of Jesus because that was the life he led. When we choose to lay down our rights, we will see the same fruit that Timothy did in, in this in verse 5. It says, So the churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew larger every day. Would you guys stand? time with asking you uh, asking a, just a simple question really um, and it's, it's just this what what rights are you holding on to what rights do you grab grab on parts of, of who you are and the rights that, that you are afforded by being uh, the totality of who you are. There's an American, man, a woman, old, young, whatever those things are. What are the rights that you, you would struggle to let go of for the sake of having a, seeing the kingdom come in a moment. I'm going to just pray for us invite the Lord to speak to our hearts. Um, and then we're just gonna, I'm just going to give you a second to respond and to talk with the Lord and to, to, to have a conversation with Him, to, to confess and ask whatever it is you need to of Him. And then after, after a moment, we're going to, as a way of, of kind of releasing those things we're going to sing one final song together and it's just, it's just I'm sure you probably know it and it's just simply a song of surrender God we, we thank you God for your word for the amazing examples that you you've put in there to show us what it looks like to live like you Jesus God, we are so humbled by the fact that you, you chose to live this way. You didn't have to do any of this, but you did. You, you didn't have to come. You didn't have to live in this ridiculous body. You didn't have to endure the humiliation of having your own creation second-guess you every day. 
but you did. You gave up your rights so that your kingdom could come. God, so Holy Spirit, we just stand here, we open our hands and our hearts, and we just say, come, come in us. Would you speak to us individually right now? Search us and know us, God. Is there any area of our heart or our mind that that we, we are holding on to a right and we have placed that out of your hands, out of your reach? We put an out of bounds sign on it, God. We ask that you would expose that now. Would you speak to our hearts? saying that maybe there's there's somebody or a few of us here that the right that we aren't willing to let go of it's going to sound backwards someone's not willing to let go of the right to be whole you're convinced or you've decided that you've, you've disqualified yourself from wholeness because of circumstances or choices. The Lord's saying to you today, you have the right to be whole because I have declared it. You have the right to be whole, not because of what you did, but because of what I did. sacrifice was enough. Would you surrender that to him today? Would you renounce that lie from from the enemy that you, you have to live accepting that brokenness?